As always is the case, I do consider it to be an honor to speak concerning the Word of God. I want to say something about our brother's prayer. I appreciated everything he said. And one of the things he said as he prayed to God regarding our worship, after that he said, and help us to give you all that we are, or all that we have. Give our all for you on this day. You know, that's very significant. Not long ago, I preached on the subject of the Sabbath, and that was because there was a number of questions that had come up in some private Bible studies on the significance of days, and are we under the Sabbath at all? Should we keep any aspect of the Sabbath? And Jesus' attitude or his demeanor or his behavior regarding the Sabbath. And we talked about how Jesus marked the transition even during his life from the Sabbath to the Lord's Day or to himself. I want to talk about some of these things concerning the Lord's Day. I want to talk about Sunday. When did Sunday become the the Lord's Day? In Revelation chapter 1 and beginning in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You know, I can remember in the not so distant past times when you would see this, when Sunday actually mattered in our country. I remember growing up, I'm not that old that I can't remember, but I remember businesses in the hometown that I grew up in, in Ojai. I remember in Oakview, I remember that I perhaps told some of these things to you over the years. But I remember one particular business as you came into Oakview, it was a rental place where you'd rent equipment, and there was a great big wooden sign on a chain link fence, and it said this, open Monday through Saturday, but closed on Sunday for church. I remember when Sunday mattered in our country. I remember when there were things that shut down on Sunday. I remember when you got your shopping done on Sunday, your yard work done, or I'm sorry, on Saturday. Your yard work got done on Saturday. I remember when Sunday didn't have all of those things. And by the way, you know, in youth sports, there was a time when people didn't, coaches didn't have practices on Sunday. They didn't have games on Sunday. You know what else? They didn't even have them on Wednesday. You know why? Because people in their minds understood that those that professed Christianity, they were going to be in services. They were going to be worshiping on those days. It actually mattered. And then all of a sudden they started having other aspects or other activities and they scheduled them on Sundays. Now there's something every Sunday. You know, even in college, I remember in college, there was nothing scheduled on Sunday back in the 80s. Now everything's on Sunday. You know why? Because in our world, in our society, Sunday became just like any other day. Sunday is the Lord's day. Sunday matters. Sunday is not to be like any other day. I think it's sometimes a day that's treated very casual, like a drop-by deal, leaving the rest of Sunday for whatever. One man said, though, like a sponge with water squeezed out. This is the problem, by the way, in our country. And may I just say this to preface my comment here. People talk about what's wrong in America. And what do people do? They go right to politics, right? Oh, it's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. 
It's the liberals. It's the conservatives. Oh, no, it's those radicals. We talk about this one and that one and all that. That's not the problem in America. You know what the problem in the United States of America is today? Because we are on a 50-year, as one man said, a 50-year experiment of living in a country without God. That's what's wrong. We forgot all about God. No prayer in school. No Ten Commandments. No sermon at graduation. No respect for marriage in the home. And this has contributed to many of the problems that exist today. That's what happens when God is removed from our life. One teacher, for example, in an attempt to be politically correct, instructed her class to write an essay about the pilgrims on Thanksgiving as an assignment. Her only requirements were these. You can't mention anything about religion, you can't say a thing about God, and you cannot mention church. This young girl taking a shot at being politically correct wrote the following. I love this. The pilgrims came to these shores seeking freedom of you-know-what so that they can give thanks to you-know-who so that we, their descendants, could worship each Sunday you-know-where. Politically correctness is the norm and the standard of today. But the question before us today is this. Is Sunday just an arbitrary day filled with choices of whatever we wish, or does Sunday matter? I want to submit to you that Sunday does matter. And by way of a review, we talked about some of these things when we dealt with the Sabbath, but let's just go to notice a couple of these things as we talk about the seventh-day observance. In Genesis chapter 2, and the reason that I put that there is because Sabbatarians or people that believe that we keep the Sabbath today say we still have to keep the Sabbath even as Christians because the Sabbath has always existed. In fact, the argument is it existed all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. Well, let's notice. In the creation, the Bible says that God looked upon everything, God created everything, and he did so in six days. Then, as it were, he looked upon everything that he created, and he said it was very good, and the Bible says that on the seventh day he rested. On the seventh day. Because he was tired? No, he rested a rest of delight and satisfaction for all that he created. That's number one. And number two, he rested in that he was finished. And God sat back and rested on the seventh day. Do you know that he was the only one that rested that day? Man didn't need to rest on that day because man in the garden was living a life of rest. In fact, it was a perpetual state of rest. Do you know why? Because there was no work. Why was there no work? Because there was no sin. And if there was no sin, there was no work. If there was no work, there was no Sabbath. And in Genesis chapter 2, God was the only one that rested. Now somebody might say, no, wait a minute. God told them to tend the garden. Isn't that working? No, there's a difference between a chore and maintaining something and working by the sweat of your face in order to earn your living or eat your bread. So in Genesis chapter 2, only God rested. Let's go further though. We skip to Exodus chapter 20. 
And after man was delivered from Egyptian bondage, God gave man a system of Sabbaths. They were weekly, they were monthly, and they were yearly. God also gave man two general commandments. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So, these are two general commandments. Then he gave a tenfold explanation of those two commandments, and we call those the Ten Commandments today. There was also the manifold explanation of all of this, and it's found in the first five books of the law in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But, in the Ten Commandments... The fourth commandment was they had to keep the Sabbath. Now, why did they do that? What was the effect of that? Well, first of all, God commanded that, and that's enough. But here's what they did on that day. It was a day to reflect on their creator. It was a day to reflect on all of creation and how everything that God created was perfect. And that it was only marred when man sinned. It was a day to reflect on your creator. It was a day to reflect on the creation. What else? It was also a day to reflect on God as the lawgiver. So they were commanded and God hallowed this day or elevated this day. And the people, the children of Israel had to recognize that day, that being the Sabbath day. Now... Remember this, too. This is my last slide from our previous lesson a couple months ago. But Jesus was the transition from the old to the new. And may I just say, too, there were two things that they hated about Jesus. Two things, especially the Pharisees, hated about Jesus. Number one, because he said, I'm the son of God. They hated that. And number two, because of the way that he handled the Sabbath. But Jesus said, I'm greater than the Sabbath. He said, I'm Lord even of the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus, even while living, did anything he wanted to do on the Sabbath because he was the transition from the old to the new. Now, those Jews believed that their reference point between themselves and God was the Sabbath, and Jesus would teach them that the reference point between themselves and God had to be Jesus himself. So, here it is. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, the transition from the old to the new was complete. What did the Sabbath represent? It was a prophetic type, if you will, of future rest being heaven. In other words, Sabbath rest is a picture of eternal rest. Do you remember when I said that when man was created in the garden before sin, he lived in a perpetual state of rest? Okay? That's what we're going to get when we finally get to heaven. A place of perpetual rest for all eternity. All right. The new covenant, though, Jesus brought in the new covenant day, and that is the first day of the week. And let me show you how it ought, Jesus makes the transition in Matthew chapter 28. And we begin there. For a little flow here. In verse 1, it says, after the Sabbath. It says, after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And we know what happened there. It was the morning of the resurrection. Now, in verse number 9, 
It says, and as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet, and they worshiped him. Now, interestingly, it was early on Sunday morning. We're going to find that out, too, when we look at Luke 24 and Luke's account. So the Sabbath was over, and those precious women went back to the sepulcher. They went back to the tomb. More on that in a minute. They went to the tomb. And all of a sudden, the stone was rolled away. And they get evidence that Jesus is not there. Jesus is not in the tomb. So the Bible says, as they went to tell the disciples that he had risen, Jesus met with them and said, rejoice. And they came and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. Just a little side note here. This is absolutely brilliant. God did all that. You know who the first hand eyewitness testimony of the resurrection was? It wasn't one of the apostles. It was those precious women. It was the women that had no agenda. They had no agenda at all. They had nothing like that. It wasn't like one of the apostles who could be blamed for lying about it, saying that he was risen. And really, they're just his followers, therefore they said that. No, it was these women. They were firsthand eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. And when they saw Jesus, they fell down at his feet and they worshipped him. You know, there's a couple things that have to happen. In prophecy, we have to understand two things have to happen. First of all, number one, when Jesus gave the prophecy as found in John chapter 12, and when Jesus gave that, those words, when Jesus said those words, as Jonah was three days, I'm excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, that's the King James, the new King James says, in the belly of a great fish, so shall the Son of Man be also three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now notice what has to happen. He has to be dead three days. He has to be buried all three days. He has to be raised on the third day. And we find from the scriptures that third day was the first day of the week or it was Sunday. Had to happen. He had to die on the day of preparation. He had to be buried still that day. He had to still be in the tomb on the Sabbath day. And he had to be raised on the first day of the week. That is the third day. You know, we find also in Luke chapter 23, we find that in verse 56, this is what they were doing. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to commandment. Now, there was a reason that they didn't go on the Sabbath. They didn't go on the Sabbath because they kept the commandment. They didn't know that the Sabbath day or the old covenant day was nailed to the cross. They didn't know that at all. So they didn't go to the tomb on the Sabbath day. They rested on the Sabbath day as God said that they, they would do. And they did so according to the commandment. Now, spices and fragrant oils. And we know that back then they didn't embalm bodies. In fact, as we know in the story of Lazarus, he was buried the same day that he died. And by the fourth day, and it was hot there, obviously. And by the fourth day, when Jesus arrives and he says, take away the stone, Martha there saying, really, 
Um, but master, it's been four days. The King James says, he already stinketh. Or he already is decaying. The decomposition process had already happened. It's been four days. You know why? They didn't embalm. What they did, though, they had fragrant oils and spices that they prepared the body. And when they buried Jesus, remember, John's account says that Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds and wrapped the body of Jesus when he was buried. We know that. We also know this, too, by way of history. The only time they used a hundred pounds to bury somebody of those spices, the only time is when they buried a king. Jesus died between those two thieves like prophecy said he would, but he was buried like the king that he is, king of kings and lord of lords. But on the first day of the week, here come these women, and they're coming with fragrant spices and so forth for the body of Jesus continuing there. So it would retard the de decomposition process. And Luke 24 and verse 1, it's a different day. Now on the first day of the week. Now on the Sabbath they didn't, but on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Again, this was New Covenant Day. It was the first day of the week. Notice this, please. This new covenant day, he was dead on Saturday, okay? New covenant day is the first day of the week. Very significant. He's dead on Saturday. Therefore, the Sabbath also died on Saturday when Jesus was dead. When he died uh, on the cross on the day of preparation on Friday still. What else? He's alive on Sunday, the first day of the week. So what do we know? When Jesus died, the Sabbath died. But also when Jesus rose from the dead, he brought in the new covenant day. That's not a day of tradition. We didn't just one day say, you know what we'll do? I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just go ahead and have church on Sunday. It's not tradition. We're going to find out this is mandated by God. But none of this is by accident. It all began on the first day or Sunday, the first day of the week. Notice also, they travel. That morning there was a disciple by the name of Cleopas and another disciple that we don't know who it was. Some scholars think it might have been Luke because Luke wrote Luke, therefore he didn't include his name. We don't know, it doesn't matter. Cleopas there is going along with another disciple. And they're leaving and going on a trip of about seven miles. And it's from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. And they're walking along. And they're talking about all these things. They're talking about the things that had happened. And the Bible says this. As they're going along, they're speaking about the things that had happened on that journey. And notice, Jesus appears. And after he said the words, he said, What manner of communications are these that you speak of and are sad? And they said, Oh, you must be a visitor around here and don't know what we're talking about. And uh, Jesus says, what things? And they said, well, about Jesus of Nazareth, how we thought he was a prophet. In fact, we thought he was going to restore Israel. We thought he was going to set up a kingdom. And it's the third day, and we don't even have the body of Jesus. So all of a sudden, after Jesus allowed them to unburden their aching hearts, it says this, and beginning at Moses... 
And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Did you get that? What happened on this day? It began with worship. Now, it's the first Sunday. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, okay? That morning, it began with worship. Those precious women fell at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. A little later that day, though, by the way, on this very significant day, it's about afternoon, no doubt, time. Jesus shows up, and he gives the first expository sermon preached about himself from the Old Testament scriptures on the same day. What a great day. Big day. New covenant day. First day of the week. Very first expository sermon being preached. It is a day of significance. May I also say, too, the greatest kind of preaching there is is expository preaching. Use the, the Holy Spirit's outline. Take the Word of God and teach the Word of God and expound upon it and explain the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. What a great example. The greatest preacher the world ever knew, the greatest man that ever lived, he begins with Moses and all the prophets, and he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, you know, when I think about sometimes people are looking for an experience. Sometimes people are looking for some kind of special experience. Now, picture in your mind's eye, you got two disciples. Jesus appears before them, and they don't know it's him. He preaches from the Old Testament the things concerning himself. They come near to the little village. The Bible says he acts as though he's going to keep going by, and they compelled him to join them in the house. There's a picture there. There's a picture there. Jesus will never force himself on somebody. You have to invite him in. You have to want him in. He's standing at the door knocking, but the doorknob or the latch is on your side. They compel Jesus to join them. They still don't know it's Jesus. They sit down, and the Bible says they begin to eat, and he reveals himself to them in the breaking of bread, it says. And then he was gone. Pretty good experience, right? Impressive. Let me talk about what was really impressive. This is what they said. They said this. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Of all the things they could have been impressed by and impressed with, it wasn't the experience. Jesus appeared before them. And the first thing they said is, didn't our hearts burn within us when he showed us the scriptures along the way? But now it was time, though. It was time to go to the upper room we find and these disciples by the way they had traveled seven miles to Emmaus and I don't know about you but <clears throat> I don't walk 14 miles a day um, back then no doubt that's exactly how they got around you know if you're going to go 14 miles or seven miles in each direction you're getting in the car and you're firing it up and you're driving you might ride a bike I doubt you'd ride a skateboard and really you're probably not going to walk they were so impressed with what Jesus had said to them, they couldn't wait. They had to leave Emmaus and go back to Jerusalem and go back to the upper room and tell them what they saw. And all of a sudden, 
As they said these things, as they told the others, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. You know, the Bible says also there that they were afraid because they thought they saw a ghost. They thought they saw a spirit. And they were afraid. First of all, when Jesus says peace to you, he wasn't wishing them a good day. He was giving them peace. He is the prince of peace. Therefore, he is the author of peace. So the author of peace was giving peace to them. And they were afraid. And they were scared because they thought, wait a minute, there's a ghost among us. And Jesus says, get this, it's very important for another passage later on. He said, he said, handle me. Touch me. He said, because a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. What he's saying is this. I'm here in the flesh. My body has been resurrected. And here I am. Look at my hands. Feel my hands. Handle me. And if I was a ghost, I wouldn't have bones. I wouldn't have flesh. Now, then this is what happens. He said to them these words. He said, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That in all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. What a great first Sunday. It began with worship. Later on, there was an expository sermon about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament preached by the master, the greatest one that ever lived. We're still not done. It's still Sunday. It's Sunday night time. And you know what the Lord's going to do? He appears before them. And by the way, he erased all doubt when he said, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him fish and honeycomb and he ate that. So obviously they were not afraid anymore. Then he says these words and he uses the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, the three distinct categories of the Old Testament. And he says, concerning me. He opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. What a great Sunday. What a great Sunday it was. But there's more. Then he says this. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So, he said, this is exactly what I've said to you before. It's time now. And you're going to preach repentance and remission of sins. You're going to do that. And you know what else? You're going to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're going to get the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to imagine they went from scared to encouraged. This is quite a Sunday launching New Covenant Day. It's repeated over and over. The phrase, first day of the week. Over and over. Because the first day of the week has great significance. Now, notice also in... John chapter 20. In John chapter 20. This is John's account of the very same thing. And we want to talk about this because I don't want, I don't want us to think that there's a contradiction. Okay, Jesus told them to handle me in one passage. 
In this passage, Jesus said, do not cling to me. Now, is there a contradiction? No. First of all, he said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Now, we know what that can't be. We know that that cannot be, that he's talking about his ascension in Acts chapter 1, his ascension to his Father in Acts chapter 1, 40 days later. We know it can't be that. Why? Because in between there, he told his disciples, handle me. Later, and we'll get to that, he told Thomas, put your hands in my hands. Touch me. So we know it can't be that. And I'll tell you, you can read all kinds of commentaries and they'll tell you all kinds of things about this. Um, I'm going to tell you, I, I agree with what the old time preachers used to preach. I think this is right. In the words of my father-in-law, this is free. Okay? But I think, I think the old-time preachers were right about this. I remember Linwood used to preach about this. What he was talking about is, and that phrase right there literally means, stop clinging to me in the original. That's what it means. It didn't mean don't touch me. It meant they were touching him, and he says, stop clinging to me. <clears throat> now, the phrase there, for I have not yet ascended to my father, I think this is the phrase, I agree with this. You remember under the law of Moses, the high priest took the blood of the sacrifice to the Holy of Holies at the Ark of the Covenant in the presence of God and brought the blood sacrifice for the sins of the people into the place where God was or God's presence was. If that is a prophetic type, then the fulfillment of that prophetic type is Jesus ascending to his father as our high priest and bringing the blood sacrifice to the presence of God. All that's free. But it makes sense. It makes sense. It is the antitype of what has been done under the old law. No contradiction. It just simply means stop clinging to me. Now, Another interesting thing is found in John chapter 20. When they came to the sepulcher, they came to the, to the grave, and they went in there and they found the handkerchief. Some translations say napkin. And the handkerchief was placed over his face. And when they got in there and his body was gone and they found the linens in one place, it says that the handkerchief or the napkin was placed in another place and it was folded. Now, I'll just tell you what I read about that. I read that there is a tradition says, I guess you might say. But very customary back then when somebody would sit at a table and eat. When they were finished eating but they had to get up from the table, they would take their napkin and their handkerchief, whatever it was, and they would throw it down with all of the other linens all kind of piled there. And it was basically to say, I'm done. I won't be back. But then I had read by way of custom, Jewish custom, what they did is when they were going to get up from the table, but they were going to return, they folded the napkin, they kept it separate from the other linens, and it was a sign saying, I'm not finished, I'm coming back. When they got in there and they opened and looked into the grave and found that the body of Jesus was gone, they saw the linens, but separate folded was the handkerchief saying, I'll be back, I will return. 
Jesus is one day going to come back. Now I want to notice something in verse 24, please. Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Now my whole life, I've heard doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. And yeah, I guess he doubted. But you know, Thomas did not get the information that the others got. The others were afraid and Jesus proved that it was him. Maybe in his mind he reflected back and he thought about what Jesus had told them when he walked on the face of the earth. Beware of those that come and say they're me. Beware of those that would come, those false teachers, just maybe. So on this particular occasion, guess what? Thomas was not there. He didn't see that. He missed out. You know, I thought of this this morning. I thought about this day, this great day. And Thomas missed out. You know, I think that's kind of what happens when we miss services. We miss out. We just miss out. He missed out on hearing the Lord preach a sermon and teach the word of God. He missed out on seeing Jesus that was presented before them. He missed that too. He missed all of that. He wasn't there. I think that's sometimes what happens to us. But that's not all. In John chapter 20 and verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Now, what day was that? Now, remember, we're talking about the significance of days, significance of days. We're talking about that. We're talking about it's the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. and We're talking about this first Sunday. Okay. And Thomas is not there. But then it says this. After eight days, what day was that? Eight days later would have been the first day of the week. Also, it would have been Sunday. You know why? Because that's exactly how the Jews counted the days. You count the day you're on. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. After eight days, the Lord could have done anything that he wanted to do. He could have appeared before Thomas any other day. He waits till when? Eight days later, first day of the week, Sunday, pretty significant. Could have done anything he wanted to. I think that's pretty significant. You know, that's really not hard for us to grasp either because you might say, hey, Frank, what are you doing? I, I held an eight-day meeting. Eight days? Yeah. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Same thing. What happened? His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. What else? The church was born. On this day, on the day of Pentecost, and a passage taken in the book of Leviticus chapter 23, what's Pentecost? Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of a wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. So notice, seven Sabbaths would be complete. Seven times seven is 49. There would be a Passover. Jesus died on Passover Sabbath. 
He spends 40 days with his disciples. Ten days later was Pentecost Day, and that was the first day of the week. That was Sunday. And at 9 a.m., the great event begins. What else did they do? Gospel sermons being preached, churches established, they worshiped. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Again, this is the Lord ordaining this day. The first day of the week is very significant. And really, in a conversation in a Bible study not long ago, somebody asked, well, What was the acts that show us in the Bible that the first day of the week is significant? Why is that? What we're showing is we're showing everything is happening on the first day of the week. He was raised from the dead the first day of the week. He was worshipped the first day of the week. He preached an expository sermon on the first day of the week. He expounded from the Old Testament scriptures and explained them that night on the first day of the week. Eight days later, he waits to the first day of the week and appears before his disciples and Thomas is present. Then he ascends to heaven. Ten days later, Pentecost Day, and the church was established. The gospel was preached. The Holy Spirit came and they continued and they worshiped on this day. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Now understanding these were Hebrew Christians that were greatly being persecuted for their faith. And by the way, historically, many of the Hebrew Christians, because of the great persecutions that were happening in their life, Because they were Christians, you know what they did? They turned their back and go back to the ways of Moses. In fact, that's why they did that. They thought, wait a minute, it's a lot easier. We'll just go back to the law of Moses. So the writer of Hebrews writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said, wait a minute, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Don't do it. He said, as the manner of some is. Very significant day. Very significant day of worship. Assembling ourselves together, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, there are various schools of thought about what the day is or the day approaching. Some say the day is the first day of the week. Some say the day is the end of time. I happen to believe contextually the day approaching happens to be the destruction of Jerusalem. So just a few short years before A.D. 70, when this letter was written, it was to encourage Hebrew Christians to keep the faith and continue to worship and don't turn your back on worship as you see that day approaching. But either way, guess what? That day is still the first day of the week, Acts 20 and 7. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Can you imagine if one of us started doing that till midnight? I'm going to tell you something. Nobody has ever said to me, okay? You know, I liked hearing you, Frank, but man, you don't talk long enough. I don't think I've ever heard that. I've heard a little bit of the flip side. Man, Frank's getting a little long-winded these days. Well, man, you know, yeah, kind of long. Never do have I ever heard somebody say, what you really need to do is just preach way longer. In fact, take us to midnight. Absolutely not. What I'm saying is it was the first day of the week. 
It wasn't the day or the hour for the Lord. It was the day for the Lord. And in this, we don't know what time they started or they assembled originally. We just know it was the first day of the week. It was on Sunday. It was the time of the bread-breaking service. And incidentally, a little side note. If the Lord wills, Don King and I will leave for the Philippines um, in January again. Okay? And customarily, they don't, they don't have what we have in terms of we have Sunday morning services at 1030, and that's our bread-breaking service. And then later on at 5 o'clock here at Plans Road, we have another service, uh, but it's not a bread-breaking service. Um, some people have 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock services, 1.30 services, whatever it is in the afternoon on Sunday. Okay, That's kind of our custom of doing that. In the Philippines, they don't have that. On the Lord's Day, whatever time that they decide to meet, it is their bread-breaking service. So whatever time it was here, no doubt they only met once, but the only time, that, or the, the time that it was here, whatever that was, it was the first day of the week for the purpose of breaking bread. And Paul went on and preached to midnight, and we're so thankful. When Eutychus fell out of the window dead, we're lucky he got brought back to life. But that's what happened on that particular day. It's the first day of the week. It's the day of worship. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy other things on this day. And there are, no, there are no restrictions in the New Testament concerning what you are not allowed to do on the first day of the week. You can go to work. If, you, if, you, if your boss schedules you and you say, listen, I have to be there to assemble with the church at 1030. But by 1230 or so, by the time we're done, I can drive over there. I'll go to work. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no restrictions regarding that. But the question is this, if you had your druthers, if you had the choice, what choice would you make? And I know this, I know this, I understand this. Sometimes things happen that are beyond our control. And sometimes we're doing absolutely all that we can. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about extenuating circumstances. And I'm not talking about when you're just, you're traveling and you're on a trip somewhere. I'm talking about your daily life. There's a difference between can't and won't. Big difference. Just apply it as you can. But the Lord knows whether you can or whether you won't. Are we giving him, as our brother prayed, everything we have on this day? Let's go back to our introductory text, and I'm just about finished. Here it is. John said, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Okay, that's our introductory text. By the way, this day, it has a name. It's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. Something else very significant happened in the same revelation letter on the same day. I thought it was kind of interesting. I'll pass it along. It's found right here in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Isn't it interesting? That the one 
vision about the church happened on the Lord's day. New covenant day. It's always, it's a significant day. It's not the Lord's hour. It's the Lord's day. Is your heart centered on worship on this day? Is your heart centered today on the remembrance of our Savior? Does worship mean something to you? Would you rather be somewhere else? I have a friend of mine that was, is an outdoors person. He doesn't profess to be anything religiously. And I'm saying this in closing. But I remember he wrote something in a little book. And it said, and you've probably heard this phrase. He said, it's better to be in the mountains thinking about God than it is to be in church thinking about the mountains. And while that may be true, it's not good to be here thinking of something else. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more important than our being here to worship God. And it's not about me, and it's not about you, it's not about us. It's about God. We are here for God today on His day. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.